Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. God bless you for being here today. I'm looking forward to starting a new series, a series called Dealing with Feelings. It's a series that deals with our emotions. I don't know about you, but um, most of the trouble I've gotten into as an adult, I mean most of it, most of the mistakes I've made as an adult, saying something I shouldn't have to my wife or to my children, uh, blowing something out of proportion, assuming the worst about another person, even something like buying a car, and a few weeks later, I'm really sorry I made that purchase. Most of those mistakes, I can trace them back to one root cause. I let my emotions get out of control. Something happened to me internally. I couldn't keep them under control. Now, at the same time, the problem wasn't emotions. Oftentimes we think, well, that's too emotional. You shouldn't be so emotional. Listen, emotions are God-given gifts to us. God created us in his image as emotional beings. So the reason we're happy or sad or angry is is because God feels those things as well. We see that in Scripture. Our emotions are not bad. They're part of the image of God. But because our father Adam and our mother Eve chose to rebel in the garden, because due to that inherited sin nature, you and I, from the moment that we are volitionally able, begin to turn ourselves against our Creator, because we are fallen in sin, those same emotions that are created in the image and likeness of God, they are fallen too. And that means they can get out of control, they can cause a lot of damage, um, and they can come out in some really, really dark ways. I would imagine over the last few weeks, some of us, most of us, have felt that. And so I, I just thought it would be appropriate as we begin to enter the summer months to start talking about the subject of emotions and just, just deal with this. How do you deal with those feelings? And I want to begin this morning with the subject of stress. Now, stress is not technically an emotion, but it does drive a lot of emotion, doesn't it? Yeah? Has your stress ever driven your emotions? Maybe recently that's happened. Uh, and so that's where we're going to begin. I think it's accurate to assume even that since 2020 began, it's driven more of our emotions than we would like to admit. What do you think? Yeah, there, there's a Latin root for this word stress. You know what it means? It means to be drawn tight. Like something's pulling you this direction, something simultaneously pulling you in that direction. And in a normal time, that can really get the best of us. 43%, in fact, of all adults in a 2019 survey said they felt noticeable physical and emotional symptoms from being drawn too tight. Today, we call that burnout. That, that's the most typical metaphor that we use. Somewhere, in fact, between 75 and 90% of all visits to the doctor, they say, stem from some kind of stress-related issue. And stress, we know, is one of the leading causes of both cancer and heart disease, two of the most deadly killers in the United States. And that was when things were normal. That was when things were normal. What do you think has happened to those numbers 
since January the 1st. One of our church members told me the other day, and I thought, man, this is simple. It's a little bit crude, but I like it, and I like this guy. He said, Pastor, if 2020 were a beer, it'd be 90% foam. Like, that's what the year's been like for every single one of us. There have been years where some of us have had good years, some of us have had bad years. We're all having a bad year. We can just sort of admit that. A Qualtrics study just published on April the 14th that tried to take all of these other situations, COVID, all the stress-related incidents, into consideration and see how is this affecting people emotionally both in the United States and in Europe. 67% said they had higher levels of stress, along with accompanying anxiety and confusion, isolation, and tension. Headaches, tightening in the jaw, grinding of the teeth, that kind of thing. 57% said they experienced greater anxiety. 54% said they're emotionally exhausted. 53% said, I get up every day and I feel sad. And I just can't get out from under it. 50% of those taking this survey said they were more irritable. Some of you live with people like that, don't you? 42% believe their overall mental health has declined. I found this uh, number interesting. 28% admitted they cannot even concentrate long enough to make it through a single newspaper article or digest a novel. These are people that like to read, by the way. And this is across the board of ethnicity, income, white collar, blue collar, COVID-19 and all of its stress-related ancillary issues, all the problems it has created, the, the economic impact and devastation, all those things together, it's an equal opportunity offender, isn't it? It's hit every single one of us. And so the question is, what do we do with this? What do you do with stress? Well, the good news is, these may be strange times, they may be hard times, but they're not new times for us. Because stress was nothing strange to the people in the Bible. And today I want to tell you a story. It's in Exodus chapter 18. We're going to look at one of the first recorded examples of a character from Scripture who had to deal with stress. His name was Moses. At this point in the, in the game, in the story, he has led God's people out of Egypt. All right, So they're free. They're no longer slaves. They're no longer having to work morning, noon, and night. They're no longer having to double their workload. They're no longer having to live in fear of a tyrannical pharaoh. But here's something they don't have anymore. They don't have housing. They don't have a guaranteed food supply. They don't have really any kind of system of justice to speak of, at least not at this point. That is still yet to come with the giving of the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law and how they're going to relate to each other civilly and morally and in every other way. There is complete chaos as they spend those early days in the desert, and every single one of them is turning to this man named Moses. You think Moses might have felt in that moment a little bit like you and I have been feeling these last few months? Let me share with you four principles for dealing with stress that come out both of Moses' mistakes, the things he did wrong in this story, and the correction that he was willing to accept from his father-in-law, Jethro. Four principles. Here's the first one. If you and I are going to deal with stress, we have to know our limits. Verse 13, the next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all he was doing for the people, he said, what is that that you are doing for the people? Why should you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me. 
Everybody's coming to me. And I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. That sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? This is what I'm doing. Look at his father-in-law's response. What you are doing is not good. You can do a good thing and not be good, not do the right thing. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So Moses is stressed. He is simultaneously unaware of what he was personally able to handle on his own. That's the beginning point of stress, isn't it? It's the gap that exists between what I want to do or what I think has to be done and what I think only I can do. It's the gap between all of those things and what I can adequately pull off. I was just talking to one of our public educators right before this service. And he was telling me they're coming out with all these new guidelines about how we're going to set up classrooms for the fall and how we're going to do the hybrid thing and let them teach online. And he knows, they know, the system knows. These are things that we believe needs to be done. But there's a gap Not only, I would imagine, between this educator, but between everybody employed by that system, pray for our public school systems and their employees. Amen? What a huge, impossible task they have. The gap between what they know needs to be done and what they wonder can adequately be pulled off. You know what? The space between that, that's where the stress factor is. In fact, that's what our culture calls it, stress factor, stress ratio, stress component. And when you get to that point, when you're living in that gap, Frustration starts to set in. And so Moses has to learn a lesson here. You know what that lesson is? No matter how great you are, nobody can do everything. Listen to me. You all, look at me. Look at me. Okay? Because some of you think you're Superman, you're Supergirl, you're Wonder Woman, you're whatever, and you ain't. If Moses couldn't do it all, neither can you. So let some of it go. Let it go. And and let me me stress, this didn't happen because of a lack of a work ethic. Because there's there's probably some other people in front of me, maybe some folks watching right now, and you think that a lack of stress means all your stress has to go away. Stress is not inherently bad. It's not. There's an alarm on my phone. That's a good form of stress because I otherwise might not get up in the morning. For those of you who are students, there are these things called tests. Okay? Uh, my seminary students ask me, Doc, why you, why you give us a test? We're all studying for ministry. Because even preachers are fallen. Even preachers don't read when you tell them to read. Even preachers don't really finish the assignment. We have to make sure that you've done this. We have to make sure that there's a level of competency there. That test that's coming provides a level of stress that's healthy for you. Some of you work for companies where you get an annual performance review. That's a level of stress that's good for you, and it's good for the company. This is not because of a lack of a work ethic. But, but what's, what's the deal with Moses here? He's beginning his work every day at the crack of dawn until the sun goes down six days a week, no time off, no way to get away, possibly the first recorded workaholic in history. And when we get to this part of the narrative in Exodus, you know where Moses is at? He's got an empty tank. You ever felt like that? Like you were just coasting on fumes. There's a Greek proverb that says, you will break the bow if you always keep it bent. That was Moses. Never stopping. And and so if you and I, if we're going to do this well, we don't need no load. We don't need overload. We need the right load. Okay. In the 19th century, the 
shipping and maritime industry worldwide was having an issue with ships that would get overloaded with cargo. They'd get out in the deep waters and they would sink. And nobody really know, knew what to do about this until finally in 1880, there was this man named Samuel Plimsaw who said, I, I'm going to introduce a bill into the British Parliament requiring a line to be drawn across the outside of the hull of every ship. And that line, where it's drawn, is going to be dependent upon the level of load that that ship can adequately carry. And he introduced it. It was passed by British Parliament, and it made it illegal once the line hit that water. You're starting to load things onto that ship. It's going down, down, down. But the minute that line hit the water line, it became illegal, according to British law, to put anything else on that boat. And that line to this day is called the Plimsoll Line. And I'm telling you that story because you got one. You have one. I've got one. Every single one of us has a plimsoll line. The issue is whether or not we've marked it, whether or not we're aware of it. But there's a line in our lives beyond which we really can't carry anything else. And if you load yourself beyond your limit, you will eventually sink. Now, here's what may surprise you. The key to this is not to take a break. It's not. Because there's always workaholics. And contrasted with the workaholics, there's people that think, well, I just need another vacation. I just need another escape. I just need a No, you need your load. Listen, there's nothing wrong with taking a vacation. We're about to take a week of vacation. There's nothing wrong with a day at the spa. These things can be good. They can be rejuvenating. But if you see them as some kind of magic pill and you're always going back to the same overload, you're not fixing anything in your life. You're, you're just not doing it. So if you think it's all about rest, listen, the long-term fix is not the band-aid of a vacation or a day at the spa. The long-term fix is a word, man, we do not like this word. You ready for this? Discipline. Discipline. You can ask our pastoral staff here. And they will tell you, I want them to be productive. I want them to be resourced well. I want them emotionally and spiritually healthy because I expect them to work a 50 to 55-hour work week. I'm doing that, that. That's what I expect. That's what I'm doing. That's what I expect them to do, particularly our pastors who are on the payroll. And I've told many a seminary student, I've told many a person on my staff, if you want banking hours, go be a banker. Amen. Because this, this ministry is not about nine to five and clocking out when you get to that 40-hour mark. And I've told many a young seminary student, if that's your mindset, if in the middle of the interview for that ministry position you start asking questions like, when do I go home? That's the appropriate time for your potential boss to end the interview. Because ministry means occasionally you're going to miss some meals with your family. Ministry means occasionally plans are going to get interrupted and out of love for God's people and the call God has put on your life to serve those people, you're going to need to serve them. Ministry means there are going to be times where my wife is going to call and say, when are you coming home? And my answer is going to be when I get done. And I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm just saying the job's got to get done. Everybody hearing me? You don't, you don't remove stress by setting such hard limits around things that you stop serving people. Here's what you do, though, because this is the other side of that equation. I don't want any of our people working 70, 80, 90 hours a week either, all the time. I, I don't want that. And here's the thing. You may think that the lazy 
and the workaholic are radically different people, but they're not. They're a lot more similar than you think. They're a lot more similar. You know why? Because both suffer from the same root cause. You know what it is? A lack of godly discipline that starts with knowing your limits. That was Moses' problem from the workaholic standpoint. He probably looked really good from the people on the outside. They were coming to him, and he was responding. And they were finding great value in that, and he's probably eating on the run and planning appointments and making deadlines and seeing people. And they're going, wow, look how strong he is. Look how powerful he is. Meanwhile, Moses is dying on the inside. And you know who saw it? A loving father-in-law named Jethro. And he says in verse 18, son, you are going to wear yourself out. You and those with you, you will wear yourselves out. If you look at that term in the Hebrew language, it literally means you're going to grow old early. There's this meme running around social media of a guy who looks like he's in his 80s and he says, I, I don't understand why people think stress is a thing. I'm 35 and I feel just fine. You're going to look old before your time. And let me tell you, Moses is already 80. Can you be, it's one thing to be 30 and look 50. It's another thing to be 80 and look 100. This is what's going to happen to you. If your load is too heavy, here's the instruction of God's word. The first thing we've got to know is what our limits are, understand how God built us, understand what he built us to carry, what he did not build us to carry, You've got to know your limits. And then once you do that, here's the second thing you've got to do. You've got to share your load. Verse 21. Moreover, this is Jethro's instruction to Moses, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, men who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. But any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. Look at that last phrase again. They will bear the burden with you. Here's the the big idea. The work that Moses was about to not be doing anymore still had to be done. Okay? The work still needs to be done. The problem is not that the work doesn't need to be done or that it's unnecessary or that it's unimportant. The issue is Moses is trying to do this all by himself. If you're an employee of a company and you're doing what Moses is doing, you're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting your employer. You're hurting your customers. You're hurting the people you're supposed to be serving. You're like, no, I'm not. I'm just doing everything. I'm taking responsibility. Yeah, what happens when you get sick? What happens when you go on vacation? You ever been on the other side of that equation? You call a company, you call an organization, you need something, you need it now, and you're not going to get it because this is what you hear? Well, sir, I'm so sorry, but there's only one person that handles that, and they're not here right now. Anybody ever gone to a competitor over that? I have. Because you should be cross-training your people. Sorry, pastor's getting a little frustrated now. There should be no scenario under which You can't get the help you need, but that doesn't happen unless you share the load. Well, we can't get that done this week because so-and-so's not here. That's when I've told our staff, that is absolutely unacceptable. It, It can't happen. Not in any responsible organization, particularly a Christian one, one that bears the name of Jesus. But when each of us learns to share the load, all of us benefit. 
All of us. And by the way, since I'm talking about our staff, you should commend them for this, for doing exactly this. On March the 15th, we held our last in-person worship service in this building until today. On March the 17th, the staff convened. I stood in front of them, and I said, take your job descriptions and throw them away. I love you. I can promise you I'm going to need every one of you. What I can't promise, the viral transmission where you sit are virtually zero. It's because of those men and women. Yeah, let them know. They got it done. Furthermore, they gathered a small group of volunteers while they were getting ready to welcome all of us back into this facility. And we have, over the last, I think, six weeks, fed 3,000 people. They're doing this very thing. You say, well, Pastor, why are you telling us this story? Because it's time for the rest of the church family to follow their example. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Our load has shifted here. And we've got to share that load together. Now, there are some things that are going to come back before other things. If you work for Celebrate Recovery, buckle up. I don't know exactly when it's going to be, but you're going to be the first one to come back. I know what the spike in addictions is right now. It's absolutely alarming. We cannot continue to ignore that, and you cannot continue to help those people over Facebook. I get that. You'll be the first one back. I don't know, wh- I don't know when it's going to be, but it's going to happen because there are people that need that. If you're part of our student ministry, you probably won't be far behind them. Pastor Joe's going to be working on that. Pastor Dave and I are going to be talking through that. We'll do that. What about upward sports? I don't know yet. I'm holding out hope for football season. For one thing, I like football. I do. I'm holding out hope for it. But we're talking with our medical advisory team. We're talking with the local health department. We're conferring with other youth athletic leagues. We don't know yet. Covenant kids, if you work down in the depot with the kids, it's probably going to be a while. Certainly a matter of weeks. Maybe a matter of months. We don't know yet. That's just the reality. But here's the thing. For some of you, what you were doing before, you won't be doing probably for a long time. Meanwhile, there's some of our people who are in critical health situations. They're in high-risk populations, and they're unable to join us here physically to do some of the things they did before. But you know what needs to happen? Those jobs still need to be done. And we're going to need many of you to make a shift just like our staff did. And we have to get it if we're going to bear this load together. If you were part of Covenant Kids down in the depot, maybe you can take some time out to help our volunteers to serve some meals during the week. Maybe you were an upward coach and you're not going to be helping kids kick a a soccer ball around this summer, but you can come into this facility on a Sunday and help usher our people and get them in and out of this building safely. Our caseload for counseling, for depression, For addiction that I've already just mentioned, as I've told you, is incredibly high. And so there may be some of you on the other side of that camera that say, well, Pastor, I'm in one of those high-risk populations. What can I do? Do you have one of these? Anybody in here got one of these? I bet you do. Some of you are on them right now. You need to be paying attention to me, right? If you have a phone, if you have FaceTime, you know what you can do? You can encourage a brother or a sister. You can get on that phone. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to put, our guys are going to put the tag up there now, connecttocovenant.com, right there in your seats, right there on, on the couch, wherever you happen to be watching us from. You can go to connecttocovenant.com, go to the prayer concerns, and either in the prayer or praises, just say, I want to be contacted by someone regarding Team Covenant. And we'll get you a place. We'll get you a place. 
Because if there was ever a time to be the church, it is right now. And church, church is a lot more than just the gathered people on Sunday. People talk about closing and opening up. We never closed. We just left the building for a little while. But we are going to make a difference. And what a blessing it would be for you to be willing to make that shift. Here's what Ecclesiastes 4 tells us in verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. That's the visual that we have to realize right now. The reason people in Exodus eventually got what they needed was because others stepped up to help Moses share the load. Here's one of the greatest leadership lessons I've ever learned in 28 plus years of ministry. Delegate to other people what they can do so that you can do what only you can do. That's the advice that Jethro gave his son-in-law. Work will never be a burden if you allow others to enjoy the blessing. Know your limits. Share the load. Here's the big one. Simplify your life. Look at verse 19. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God will be with you. Here's the crux of it. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. In other words, Moses, this is what you are supposed to be doing. You need to concentrate on that with excellence. About 20 years ago, business guru Jim Collins wrote a book entitled Good to Great. He was asking the question, what is it that makes certain companies, uh, and he had a few of them in mind, Coca-Cola, Abbott Laboratories, Kimberly-Clark, just to, to name a few, what is it that makes those companies from their employee satisfaction to their customer satisfaction, what, what puts them heads and shoulders above all the other companies? And furthermore, what is it that causes the turnaround in a company, like Ford Motor Company? Years ago, they were drowning in red ink. They had recalcitrant staffing and management issues. People dug in, didn't want to change, even though they continued year after year to produce nothing but mediocrity. And today, Ford Motor Company is the textbook example of what you look at when you consider how to turn around a corporation. And so Collins did some research, and he found four primary things that caused these companies to move from good to great. And one was something I want to concentrate on for the purposes of this point. It's overcoming the curse of competence. He said, those companies learned how to stop doing a million things with mediocrity and start doing one or two things with excellence. That's what they learned how to do. And he called this the hedgehog concept. If you've read this book, you know uh, you're familiar with this language. It comes from an ancient Greek parable that says the fox knows many things, but the hedgehog, he knows one great thing. You know what Moses is being told here by his father-in-law? Moses, this is your one great thing. And look at what he promises him in verse 23. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. Moses, we get this worked out the way it's supposed to be. You're going to live longer. You're going to work smarter. Everybody around you is going to be happier. No one will be perpetually exhausted. And the work's going to get done, and it's going to get done with excellence. I've talked to employees a little bit. Let me talk to employers in case you're a business owner. Occasionally, an organization will go through a turnaround. It'll go through a transitional period. And you'll have a stack of W-2s at the end of the year that are a little higher than maybe they should be. Well, that's kind of normal. Sometimes recalcitrant 
recalcitrant staff have to find their way somewhere else because they're just not going to be there to actually help you get to where you need to go. I understand that. But if year after year after year, there's a great big old stack of W-2s, you know what that is? That's a management problem. Somebody is not learning how to simplify. Someone's not learning how to share. You know, as a kid, I was always fascinated by lion tamers. I spent a few sessions in my hometown at the Ringling Brothers Circus, and I would watch those guys. And what always amazed me, number one, was how profoundly stupid I thought lion tamers were. Why would you leave a perfectly safe environment to get into the cage with a cat that size? Why would you do it? Furthermore, why would you do it with a whip? And how do you do it with a whip? I would later learn, as I got older and I started to notice, well, they're not really doing anything with a whip except making a show, right? It makes a big noise. That's really more for the crowd, though, right? That's not for the lion. It's not for the lion because, it, can we just be honest, if you actually hit a lion with a whip, you know what's going to happen? He's going to eat you. That's what's going to happen. And, and so that, that was just for show. I learned later on that the real tool was the stool. Now, that baffled me for the longest time, but here's what I learned. When that lion tamer holds that stool out like this, the lion's not afraid of the stool. Like, it, this isn't an AR-15. It's a stool. He could eat the stool and me. But here's what's happening. When the lion sees the four legs of that stool, you know what he's going to try to do? It's just in his nature. He's going to try to focus on all four legs at once. It's going to confuse him. It's going to bewilder him. He's going to get confused. He's going to weaken. And eventually, out of sheer confusion, he will collapse. And he will do whatever that lion tamer tells him to do. That's, what's wrong. That's what was wrong with Moses. That may be what's wrong with some of you guys. Maybe what's wrong with some of you. You're just trying to focus on way too much stuff. So many things. And these phones, by the way, they've made it far worse. They, they can be used for some very good things. They can be used for some bad things. Information coming at you, more and more of it all the time. Listen, nobody can know it all. Nobody can read it all. Nobody can learn it all. This is why you should never, ever, 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 ever be impressed with someone who can, quote, unquote, do the work of 10 men. You know what we need to be impressed with? Somebody that can get 10 men to do the work. Know your limits and share your load and simplify your life. There are things God built you to do, and that's the thing that needs to be done for the greater good, not only of the body of Christ, but for this city and this county and this tri-state region to demonstrate the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the final thing, and it's the thing I've learned personally probably more this week. You need to seek the Lord. You want to deal with stress, neutralize it's negative effects in your life. Seek the Lord. This, this again is verse 19. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. Now, I've been pastoring long enough that I recognize my own sins in this passage because I know exactly what Moses' problem was when I read this verse because I've been there myself. He was spending all of his time talking to the people about God. And none of it talking to God about the people. Here's what you need to do. 
no matter what you're dealing with. You get up and you spend every day, every single day, you spend time with the Lord. That's the way to handle stress. This past week has been an interesting one for us. Most of you know that my mother had to be placed in a, a memory care facility. And thank you for those of you who prayed for us. Let me tell you, anybody that doesn't say prayer works, hadn't been through the week I've just been through. I saw the Lord's providential hand in so many things. There's so many things that could have gone wrong that didn't. She is happy. She is content. My father, though grieving this very radical change in his life, is, has, has just a complete load of stress that would have likely had some deleterious physical effects on him. It's just been removed. It was, it was a week that needed to happen, but it was a sad week. I had pastoral duties on top of that. I had an article deadline from Lifeway. I had phone calls to make to check on some of our people. I had a, I had a message to finalize for this coming week, and then I had to be the guy um, who, along with my brother, took my mother to a couple of places where we used to visit as kids together while my wife and my sister-in-law got her room ready at the facility and then finally take her and leave her. And the number of times, then after that I had, to, I had to sit with and love and listen and minister to my grieving father. And the number of times this week where I did not know what to do was far greater than the number of times when I did know what to do. And I'm sure many of you had weeks like that as well. The only thing I could do was take it to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how people who don't know God get through it. I really don't. I really don't. But I know this. I've known this for a long time. I have preached this. But in the last seven days, I have experienced this. There are some things that will break me. There are some things that will destroy me because there are some things I can't handle, but there is nothing he can't handle. You take it to him. Psalm 46. Our first meeting together as an online church, I went to this text. It reminds us God is our refuge. means you can go to him right now. He will help you with your stress. He is your strength. You can use him right now. You keep trying to do everything on your own, the stress will become such it will sap your strength. But here's the great news. If you go to God, his strength, it'll sap your stress. It'll get you where you need to be. Know your limits. Share the load. Simplify your life. Seek the Lord. Anybody in here know what a bathysphere is? It's a, um, okay, well, you're about to learn. It's a deep-sea diving instrument. It's basically this big round pod. It looks like that. It's used to study the ocean in areas that are so deep that if you put a submarine at that depth, it would just crush that submarine like a tin can. This thing is 11 inches of hardened steel. Now, I'm just a teeny bit claustrophobic, so you ain't ever going to catch me on one of those things. But the first time they went down, they went down to a level of somewhere near 37,000 feet in this thing. 37. That, that's deeper into the ocean, I think, than Mount Everest is high. 
That is deep. And they had no idea what they would find. Human beings had never been down there before. When they turned the light on, what they saw shocked them. It was fish. Moreover, it was thin-skinned fish. And I mean, they were just moving around like, like they were in your aquarium at home. Like, and they were baffled by this. They're like, what's going on? Why? How's that able to happen? How are they not crushed? It's 15,000 pounds per square inch of pressure right here. How's this happening? I mean, we, we know why we're not being crushed. We got 11 inches around us. Hardened steel. How's this happening? They managed to capture some of these fish, and they took them back to the boat. They conducted some experiments. You know what they discovered? They discovered that God had designed this particular breed of fish to compensate for any pressure that came to it from the outside by an equal pressure from the inside. Isn't that amazing? And, and because of that, these fish just swam around in waters that would have crushed those men like a grape. Now, some people think, if I'm going to handle stress, i got to be hard and thick and strong and tough and mean. Nah, you don't have to be that way. But if you will appropriate the power of the Lord within, it will be more than equal to any pressure that comes to you from the outside. You, you won't just be able to handle everything that's happening in 2020 because I, I told you at the beginning of this service, I don't know when it's going to end. I don't know what we're going to face next, but I can tell you this. He that is within you is greater than he that is within the world. And beating stress doesn't come by removing that outside pressure. It comes by relying on the power of God to know what to do with it and taking these measures that we learn. God is your refuge and your strength. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the instruction of your word. Thank you for the encouragement that comes from realizing that overload was a problem even for some of the greatest characters we read about in Scripture. And so, Father, help us to resist the notion that somehow we've got to be strong or we've got to be tough. Grant us the ability in moments like this, Father, to simply trust you, to take some wise steps. And, Lord, to, to just be a people who glorify your name by the way we handle these things. Father, just as those men in that bathosphere many, many, many decades ago were baffled by those fish, Father, may this community, may this tri-state area be equally baffled when they see the boldness and the confidence that is expressed in your people. And may we be able to tell them that there is a power from within that they can have that comes only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I make this prayer in his name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. 
And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.